Krishna describes the natural traits of a bhakta, of a devotee, of the mature devotee. Jnani tvatmaiva mematam. Lord Krishna said this jnani, the wise person, is myself because he knows me as his self. Everybody is myself, but here is the one who knows me also as his self. Samepriyaha. And I am very dear to him, he is very dear to me. I am very dear to him because he knows me as his own self and self is always dear to everyone unconditionally dear and therefore Lord Krishna says he is also dear to me everybody is dear to the Lord and still there is something special about him because he is the one who knows or who experiences that grace of the Lord the presence of the Lord tasyaham na pranasyami sachamena pranasyati I never go out of his sight he never goes out of my side. <coughs> because wherever he looks, whatever, wherever he goes, or whatever he does, he never loses sight of me, because for him, there is none other than myself. So for the information of those who are the weekend student, students who are arriving only today, uh, we are concluding the last verses of the 12th chapter, and we are now on the 15th verse. So there may be a sheet, a uh, handout sheet, in case you don't have, you can get that. Continuing with the 15th verse, Lord Krishna says, Yasman no dvijate lokaha Yasman no dvijate lokaha Lokan no dvijate chayaha Lokan no dvijate chayaha Harsha marshabhayo dvegaihi This is very important. Yasmana Udvijate Lokaha. So he is the one from whom people he never becomes a source of fear to anybody. 
So people never get afraid of him. He never becomes a source of fear to anybody. He never becomes a source of pain or unhappiness to anybody. Udvega. Udvega means santap. Sankshova. That I'm perturbed. I'm disturbed. I'm afraid. So it happens to us that we get afraid of some people. We get disturbed by some people. Here, this bhakta, the devotee, can never become a source of fear to anybody, can never become a source of, uh, of unhappiness to anybody. He cannot become, because he never competes. He never comes in the way of anybody. He is, as it will be said, he is non-demanding person. So therefore, he is never the cause of udvega, santapa, mental agony or mental disturbance or perturbance. Nobody is ever perturbed. Nobody is ever scared of him. Lokan no, this is very important. Whether people are scared of me, can I be, do I become a source of fear? Do I cause fear in the people? You know, some people make sure that the people are afraid of them, you know, and therefore they always go, wherever they go, they always throw their weight around and then they always, uh, you know, throw their weight around and make sure that everybody is controlled. And this seems to be one of the, one of the requirements, I guess, for a successful person. But Bhakta, a devotee, is not like that. He doesn't see the need to, as I said, even when you throw our weight around, and I make sure that, Swami, nobody can tell me anything, you know. And so that is some kind of facade that I always have, and so that will scare the people away. There is also out of a need. He said, all of these needs are born of insecurity, nothing else. An insecure person goes around and does these things. He goes and scares people away. He's actually scared. An insecure person, the one who is always fearful inside, but that fear is concealed on the facade of an aggressive behavior. But this person is never aggressive. He never throws his weight around. He never imposes himself upon anybody because he does not see the need to do that. The reason why I want to impose upon others so I feel that I'm all right. So a lot of things that I do are meant for me to feel all right about myself. But he knows he's all right. He knows he's all right in every condition. Therefore, he never becomes a source of fear or disturbance to anybody. <coughs> because he has no need to disturb other people. He has no need to scare other people. He has no need to create fear in other people. He has nothing to accomplish by that. Lokan no dvijate Maybe nobody is afraid of him, but maybe he must be afraid of others. Says, no, no. Lokan no dvijate he is never scared of others, he is never afraid of others also. When would I be afraid? When there is something to lose. When I feel that something will be snatched away from me, something will be taken away from me, when I want to hold on to something and I am afraid that it may be taken away. That is when I am afraid. Now Udvijate, he is never afraid of anybody also because he has nothing to lose. He doesn't possess anything. It was said earlier, nirmamaha. He does not have a sense of ownership at all. He doesn't have a sense of possession. Again, because he doesn't need to own anything or possess anything to feel good about himself. And therefore, he has nothing to lose. He does not derive his security from anything outside of himself. If I look upon something as a source of my security, then I have to hold on to that. And then I'm afraid if somebody becomes a threat to that. But he does, he's not threatened by anybody. 
So that's better. He is never a threat to anybody and he is never threatened by anybody, both ways. He doesn't threaten anybody. Nobody looks upon him as a threat. As I said, he never comes in the view of anybody. He doesn't compete, he doesn't demand. At the same time, he is also not threatened by anybody. Because he finds he has nothing to lose. What do you lose? So, for Mahatma Gandhi, for example, he says, suppose they, they kill me, that's okay. If a person is not concerned about losing his life, what, what more can you do to him? He's just not afraid. So, all right, at the most my life will be lost, that's okay. Not that we, are, we have to do that, what I'm saying is that, if you are totally, if I'm totally de- devoted to God, and I'm totally convinced, or I'm totally, I mean, you know, clear, that he does what is required for me to do, and he's there to protect me. He doesn't even need protection from God. This bhakta does not need protection even from God. But for you and I, at least we can say that, if we are sure that at least I am always protected by him. So, what can enemy take away from me? And suppose they take away from me, maybe I did not need that. Whatever goes away from me is because I don't need it, I guess, you know, otherwise it will not go away from me. So whatever is in my prarabdha, nobody can snatch away from me. And whatever is not in my prarabdha, I cannot keep it anyway. If suppose I have a trust in the scheme of things, in the order of things, the scheme of things, in the goodness of the things, then if something goes away, fine. So, uh, it is like this that I am working in a, I don't know, working in a bank, let us say, and I am handling thousands of dollars every day, and suppose the bank management decides to shift some chunk of money from one branch to the other branch, do I feel a loss or something like that? No. Similarly also, if something is taken away from here to there, he feels he is the owner. He has decided now to shift the location from one place to the other. When you don't have any ownership, then there is nothing to lose. <coughs> As I said, ownership will not go away un- until we discover a security from ourselves. Okay. But the point is, at least we can know how we are hanging on to things, how we are holding on to things, and how our insecurities require us to threaten other people. And how because of insecurity, I am threatened by others. So it is because of my insecurity that I threaten other people, and it is because of my insecurity I am threatened by others. He is free from all sense of insecurity and therefore, he is neither threatened, nor does he become a threat to anybody. <coughs> so, lokano dvijate In fact, there are Mahatmas who are not afraid of anybody. In fact, in their atmosphere, everybody feels always safe and secure in their presence. He said about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, says when he was traveling from Jagannathpur to Vrindavan through the forest path, and he was just absorbed in his kirtan, you know, and he said that even the, the wild animals of the forest were all following him. It is said in the Yoga Shastra that in the, in the, in the vicinity of these Mahatmas, there is an atmosphere of non-violence because they are they actually abide in non-violence. Adveshta, Sarabhuta, they never violate anybody. And that non-violence then sort of becomes contagious. That atmosphere around them becomes also so non-violent that even the, the wild animals, they also give up their natural enmity towards other animals. So animals also give up their natural enmity. And we find descriptions in the Puranas where the tiger and the, the lamb, they were playing with each other, you know, in, in ashram of such a Mahatma, something like that. The idea is that it's so non-threatening at the same time, that kind of a non-violence. So 
So when one gets pratishthita, when one gets abide, in, when abides in that non-violence, then nobody feels threat. In fact, they even forget their, their natural enmity. At least for that time they forget. Harsha, marsha, bhayot, vegaihi, muktaha. Also is free from harsha, elation, amarsha, intolerance, bhaya, fear, udvega. Udvega against means being disturbed, being perturbed. He is always free from this. He is free from harsha or elation also. Again, elation or harsha as we call it is a reaction. And shoka, the depression also is a reaction. I am elated. Swami, I am elated. When something happens to me which is desirable for me, then I am elated. And when something undesirable happens, then again I am depressed. So usually my mood depends upon the happenings around me. If the happenings around me are agreeable to me, then I am in good mood. If they are not agreeable to me, then I lose my mood. So I am moodless. So I am moody person. So moodha, moodha, you know, so in, in Sanskrit they call it moodha. So Shankaracharya says, Bhaja Govindam, Bhaja Govindam, Govindam, Bhaja Moodha Mate. It's a Moodha and Mood, you know, they also go together. So who is a moody person whose mood is decided not by himself, decided by the situation around him. And so which button is pressed? So in the situation around me becomes agreeable and presses one button and then I react as elated person. They press another button, depressed person. And so I dance to the tune of the situations around me. But harsha or relation also is a reaction. Again that shows an inner emptiness. Only when I am empty from inside that somebody can fill me. And somebody can take away. So harsha or relation is a reaction. And the shoka, the grief also is a reaction. So if I am subject to being pleased by something, I am equally subject to being displeased by something. Understand that. If something can make me happy, definitely something can make me unhappy also. <coughs> and so he is free from harsha, no elation at all. And amarsha, no inter. Swami, he doesn't get elated at all. He's just in, he doesn't feel anything at all. Even if something good happens, then also he doesn't feel. And so people have problem with that. Shoka or grief, okay, that he doesn't have. But why, what's the problem with harsha? What's the problem with being elated? You know, what's wrong with that? That there is grief, okay, I understand shoka. But what's wrong with harsha? But as I said, harsha and shoka, elation and grief, both of them are expressions of dependence. And here, he is totally self-sufficient. So therefore nothing can be added into him, nothing can be subtracted from him. Elation is what? That was empty and I'm filled up all of a sudden. Grief is when I am again empty. But he is always full, just as in the ocean. Even the rivers flowing in the ocean cannot increase anything in the ocean, nor can they take away anything from the ocean, because the ocean abides in its own fullness. Since it abides in its own fullness, the fullness is that which is neither subject to increase, nor subject to decrease. And similarly also, this wise person abides in the fullness. Apuryamanam achalapratishtam Samudram, like Samudra, that abides in its own fullness. This wise person abides in his own fullness. Therefore, he is not available for relation because nothing can add anything into it, nor anything can take away from him. Therefore, free from reaction, not free from happiness. 
See, harsha is an expression of rajas and shoka is an expression of tamas. But Swami, if he is not elated, then how is he? He must be very dull. No, dullness is the expression of tamas. So we feel that I am not elated and I am dull. That's what the case with us. Because when rajas is not there, tamas is there, usually. But there is a state called sattva also, which is different from rajas and tamas. Sattva is inner cheerfulness, inner so cheerful, happy for no reason at all. Atmaneva, atmana, tushtaha. One is totally content with himself, by himself. So when we say that he is devoid of harsha and shoka, that means that he is devoid of rajas and tamas. He is, his heart is what we call sattvic, transparent or placid, and therefore always abiding in the happiness, which is natural. He is happy for no reason. Harsha or the elation is happiness because of some reason. Grief is opposite of because of some reason. He is happy for no reason at all. That's what is meant here. Amarsh, Amarsh means intolerance. He has no intolerance. So we get intolerant when things do not go the way we want them to go. Why become intolerant, impatient? He is no intolerance at all. He is tolerant of everything. Because you know what happens is only when we give reality to what is happening around us that the intolerance can come. Suppose you are watching a movie. In the movie the fellow does something, you know, which you think is not right. You don't become intolerant because you know that it's just drama. It's just acting. And so also he is tolerant of everything. Everything is fine. After all, he sees everything as play of God. Everything as play of whatever. Even if you look at the play of nature, look at the play of the five elements, Whatever way you look, as long as we see the oneness, so long there will not be that intolerance. But that is, he is free from intolerance. He, because again, intolerance comes when my demand is not fulfilled. When I do not make a demand, there is no intolerance. So, Amarsha, we can watch ourselves. How often do I become intolerant? People, when they fail, as I said, to to fulfill my demands, I become intolerant. <coughs> he is a non-demanding person, therefore, no intolerance. Again, demand also shows a need, shows an inner insecurity. Everything shows inner insecurity. Even demand also shows an insecurity on my part. And I feel happy and secure when my demand is fulfilled. But one who is secure by himself, there is no need to make a demand. And therefore, he is not intolerant, free from intolerance. Harsha, Amarsha, Bhaya, bhaya means fear, free from fear because there is no attachment. All fear arises from attachment. Attachment means, what is called attachment? When I am dependent upon something for my happiness or security, that is called attachment. So love is one thing, attachment is in, in love of course there is freedom, in attachment there is dependence. So in, we start with love, in course of time we become attached, without worth knowing. Because we start deriving comfort and security from that thing and slowly I become dependent upon them, that is called attachment. <coughs> so attachment always brings about fear. Raga and Dvesha, attachment and aversion, both of them bring about fear. When I'm attached to something, Possessing that becomes very important and when I see a possibility of losing that, I become afraid. 
Aversion means I cannot stand something and therefore it is necessary to keep it away. When there is, when there is a possibility of association with that, again there is a fear. So raga, attachment causes fear by the possibility of separation and dvesha or aversion causes fear by the possibility of association. So raga or attachment is that from which I do not want to be separated. Dvesha, aversion is that with which I don't want to be united. So there are things that I don't want. I can't stand Swami. Dvesha. This Swami, this is my weakness. I can't do without this raga. So when I can't do without something and there is a possibility of that being taken away, there is fear. I can't stand something and I have to put up with it, again fear. <coughs> so fear is an expression of attachment and aversion. The result of that is free from fear. Nothing to lose, nothing to gain. Udvega, again, same as we said earlier, Udvega means a mental disturbance, mental perturbance. What will happen to me, Udvega? Vyakulata, what will happen to me? So free from this kind of concerns. Harsha, Amarsha, Bhaya, Udvegaihi, Muktaha. You can see what happens to a person when God comes in his heart, all this goes away. These are all asuras. These are all demons. When Rama comes, he destroys all the demons. And that is how his mind is free from all these demoniac tendencies. Yaha Sachame Priyaha. A devotee who is such is dear to me. Continuing further, says in the 16th verse, Anapekshashuchirdakshaha Anapekshashuchirdakshaha Udasino gatavyasaha Udasino gatavyasaha Sarvaram bhaparityagi Yomad bhaktas same priyaha Anapekshaha Free from apeksha. Apeksha means who is free from expectation. He is no expectation from anybody. Which means that he is no demand from anybody. A totally non-demanding person. So a relationship in which there is no demand, that is the healthiest relationship. So less the demands are, healthier the relationship is. His relationship with everybody is one of love. Which is totally free from demand. Anapeksha. No apeksha. No demand. No expert of his inner fullness. Since he's in full inside, therefore he doesn't need anything. So anapeksha, free from apeksha, free from expectation, free from need. And therefore, my security or well-being or comfort, as long as it depends upon somebody else, then there is an other one. Then I require that people should behave in a certain way, they should act in a certain way, they should not do certain things, and thus we keep on imposing our demands around ourselves. That's why people are afraid. People are afraid of a demanding person. I feel uncomfortable in the presence of a person who makes demands. Swami, you know, why do you shave your hair? Why don't you grow your hair? I don't like that. Why do you always wear this kind of clothes? Why don't you change them? Moment somebody says that, Swami, your nails need to be, you know, clipped. I don't want to be told. I don't like to be told. I don't want that people should demand that I am. I desire that I should be accepted as I am. 
This is a basic need of everybody to be to be accepted. The reason why I react to any demand is be I feel rejected. Whenever any person wants me to be different from what I am, that means I am not accepted as I am. So whenever any demand is placed upon me, that means I experience a sense of rejection. And I'm uncomfortable. Whereas when I'm accepted as I am, when there is no change, demand for me to change, or don't demand from me to be different, I feel very comfortable. So I always feel comfortable in the presence of someone who is non-demanding. That's why we feel present, comfortable. Anapeksha, no apeksha, non-demanding person. Somebody said that we are all dictators, you know. It means we all dictate everybody. We always want to control everybody. We always want to... Uh, we throw our demands upon other people. So non-demanding, non-dictating, non-expecting person. <coughs> Anapeksha hai. No apeksha Again, apeksha or demand. <coughs> Suchihi, one is pure. So one is pure outside and inside. Outside cleanliness is okay, that there is no problem. But inside purity, purity of intention, in short, he is pure, meaning that he is pure of intention. He is transparent. What is inside is what is outside. Not something in one in my mind and something else in my being. Watched of our mind as to how we actually show ourselves as compared to how we are. It will be interesting to watch that. And in Indian, Eastern people, a lot of problems with reference with being honest, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but a lot of people being honest. Because we grow up when there is this idea of duty, and there are demands that I should be only, I should do this, I should not do that. Then whenever my wife wants to do it differently, then always I show myself in one way, because I'm always afraid. What will people say? You know, as Swamiji says, one thing in India, that's very important to me. Person gets married because what will people say? <laughs> I should get my daughter married to this person, what will people tell me? I dress in a certain way, what? I, I don't eat this, I eat that, I do lot of things to please other people. For the simple reason that there is a need on my part to be accepted by others. Then I feel secure, I feel, and I am afraid that I will not be accepted by them if I present myself as I am. And therefore, there is always a need on my part to present myself in a way that will be acceptable to people. And very often that involves a certain amount of denial. That I deny what I am and I pose myself to be different from what I am just so that I am acceptable. Very stressful life, you know. Knows everybody else, you know. There's no <laughs> privacy, and so everybody watches everybody else. Therefore, it becomes very necessary that you know that I present myself in a way that they don't know what is inside me. So inside something else is very common with with us. This is that is with us. I should not include you, but I know myself. You know how things are because in a society like that, where acceptance from people is so important. The whole social structure is like that. In the ways, nobody cares. What other fellow thinks, I don't care. <laughs> he, he can think whatever he wants. I will do what I want to do. And thus, there is an assertion. This is an asserting one's own individuality. And I will assert boldly. 
certain amount of boldness is there. Certain amount of boldness. Even he has a need of acceptance, but still a certain amount of boldness is there. A certain amount of honesty is there. Swami, the people tell what is there in their mind. In the West you find, they tell what there is inside. Sometimes it is not always good to do that. Because sometimes you tell and become very unpleasant also. You hurt people. That also is not right. At the same time, that you keep on, you become so pleasant outwardly, but inside there is altogether a different kind of a feeling. That also... But then, this... Lack of transparency is called impurity. Dakshaha, suchihi, means he is pure, he is transparent. Those disrupting feelings, you say it, free from all reactions, free from likes and dislikes, free from jealousies, free from all these negative feelings which pollute my mind, which disrupt my mind, is called suchihi, purity. And there is a method of doing that, there is called purvapaksha, bhavana. So whenever a negative feeling arises in me, I deliberately impose there the opposite feeling to neutralize that. <coughs> All the value of values, suchihi, this value is there. Suchi means purity. Purity of mind is very important. Because then only my mind is free from conflict. Then only my mind is free from all stresses and conflict shows that these disruptive feelings are there in me. So he is suchihi, pure. Dakshaha. So another thing is Daksha. Daksha means one who is able or capable. So usually when you think of this Bhakta, devotees, we think that my just rotating is a rosary or singing bhajans and that's the idea that we have of the Bhakta, you know, a, a, a person, you know, devoted to God. We generally feel that these fellows are good for nothing as far as the practical, these are not practical people. Good for nothing people as far as practice is concerned. Bhagatji, you do your bhajan, don't bother us. <laughs> but here Lord Krishna has a different idea about him. He says he's competent. Daksha means what? Competent. Pratyutpanyayashu sadhyaha yathavat pratipattam samarthaha Whenever any kind of an occasion presents himself, then he knows what to do. He is very clear. So he is competent. As far as Vyavahara is concerned, then also. <coughs> Although everybody does not interpret the word Daksha competent in that manner, because Lord Krishna said early in the second chapter, Yogaha Karmasu Kaushalam, the real competence, Yogaha Ishwarama Buddhi. That means that, that attitude on my part, or the spirit on my part of performing action as an offering to the Lord. So whenever an action is performed to the Lord, the spirit of offering is called the skill in action. That's how Lord Krishna would interpret skill. Skill in action is interpreted not as the, you know, the, the speed with which I do and so forth. What is the spirit with which I perform the action? So that I do not get entangled and always remain free. And so a vyavahara in which one does not, it's an interaction or transaction in which one does not get entangled when one retains one's... There is also an interpretation of daksha, competence. But in short, this person is free from stresses and free from complexes. So, 
When you are free from these complexes and stresses, then the mind is clear. Then the perception also is clear. Then judgment also is clear. That's the reason why when we, we teach management to people, so management can be in terms of developing different skills of manipulation and maneuvering. But the real management is to have the right perception. In any situation, when you have the right perception, right kind of a judgment, then you know, then you can be made when your judgment is right, and judgment is right when the perception is right. Perception is right when the mind is clear or the mind is clean. So really, the best way for a manager or leader is to possess a mind that is clear, that is transparent, because that mind perceives things as they are and makes the right decisions. So that way also is competent because it's clear. <coughs> Udasinaha who is impartial, Udasinaha. It's better than impartial also. They explain about Udasinaha. In our colloquial language, Udasinaha means indifferent. Or Udasinaha means passive. Udasinaha means also one who is sad sometimes, you know. So very often the word Udasinaha is interpreted as a sad person, or a passive person, or an indifferent person. But that is not the sense in which Lord Krishna uses the word Udasinaha. See, if you, if you understand the word Udasinaha, it is made of two elements, Ud Asinaha. Asinaha means one who is seated. Ud means above. Udasinaha means one who is seated above. That means one who is not entangled, one who is free from the attachments and aversions, one who is unattached, one who is seated above. So Udasinaha, you can call it impartial, or the one Udasinaha, the standard definition is one who does not take any side, one who does not take any side is called Udasinaha. Na kasajit mitradehe paksham bhajade, whether it's a friend or a foe, he is impartial, Udasinaha. Because he sees something common in the friend and foe, that is why. There is a friend and there is an enemy. How can you be equal to both of them? Only when there is something equal both in the friend and the enemy. And who is that? As Shankarajara says in the, in the Bhajagovindam, Shatra Mitre Putre Bandhu Makuru Yatnam Vigraha Sandhu. He stopped this effort of making friendship and, and, and creating enmity with your friend and the enemy, etc. Sarva Atma, Sarvatra Atmanam Pashya. See the Atma, the Self everywhere. Because Shatru is the enemy, Mitra is a friend. But he looks upon enemy also as the same Self appearing as enemy and friend, the same Self appearing as friend. So in the, behind these uh, costumes of enemy and friend, he is able to perceive the same Self. And that's the reason why he is impartial. He is neither, there is no attachment or aversion of partiality or cruelty. Gatavyatha, one from whom the fear has gone away. Because, again, we said earlier, there is no fear, there is no attachment, there is no possession, there is nothing to lose. Sarvarambha Parityagi one who has completely given up all arambha, all actions, who does not perform any actions. 
That sounds good. Sarva Arambha Parityagi. Who is a wise person? Who is the greatest devotee of Lord? Who doesn't do anything? <laughs> who is really retired? What is meant by retirement? Then you have to do nothing. Is it not so? When is I going to retire, Swamiji? Means what? I don't want to be bothered. Not that I will not do anything. But I will do what I like to do. So that I don't want to do what I am doing right now. Then he may do more than what he is doing now, but still he is called retired. Because there is no burden of doing anything. So you are retired when, in spite of doing whatever you are doing, you don't feel that you are doing, that is called not doing. So Bhagavad Gita will explain not doing, not as inaction at the level of body, but actionlessness at the level of mind, when I do not feel any burden at all. When there is no demand or expectation from what I do, when I perform an action, if there is an expectation of a certain reward, then definitely there is a stress involved. He does not perform any actions which are prompted by any kind of a desire. Means he has no agenda at all. Sarvarma Parityagi. That means he does not perform any desire prompted actions. He does not perform any actions meant for the, uh, meant for his own personal benefit. He doesn't have to project himself anymore. And so, there is no need to project himself, no personal agenda at all. That's what is meant, Sarvarambha Parityagi. He does not undertake any action for a personal welfare, because his welfare has been taken care of. He may do things, but not do for his own sake. <coughs> Yomad Bhatta hai, Same Priya hai, one who is a devotee like that, is very dear to me, Lord Krishna says. Continuing the seventeenth verse. Yo na hrishyati na dveshti Na shochati na kaangshati Shubha shubha parityagi Bhaktimanyasame priyaha Yuna Hrushati, one who does not get related. Nadveshti, one who does not hate. Nashochati, who does not grieve. Nakangshati, who does not long. Looks like free from all feelings, you know. He doesn't feel anything at all. One who does not get, no Hrushati, we discuss Yuna Hrushati, one who does not get elated. So when harsha is a reaction that comes ishta praptau, whenever I get something that is desirable, there is a reaction in me that is called harsha, that is called elation. Dvesha. What is dvesha? Anishta praptau. Whenever I am stuck with something that I dislike, then the reaction is called dvesha. Harsha also is a reaction which comes when I am associated with or I attain or I get something that is desirable and dvesha or hatred is another reaction when I am associated with or I am stuck with something that is undesirable. <coughs> but suppose in your mind there is nothing that is desirable and nothing that is undesirable. Suppose there is no harsha and shoka. So understand that these reactions come 
on account of the because we brand things I brand a given thing as desirable I brand something as undesirable and then I react to them and then it will change also oh Swamiji I did not know this person I thought he is so and so but now really he is a good person now my estimate has changed now in, when, he, when he comes to me this is Harsha same fellow created Shoka formerly now creates Harsha and today this fellow creates Harsha Swami now I realize that you know uh, when I entered now I did not know him now I know what all there is I hate him now his presence creates Shoka that's how and so is people are the things are what they are Understand that all this harsha and the shoka, that means the elation and all depression or grief or hatred, all of these are reactions because of the way I perceive things. It is what we call due to the subjective perception. But here is a person who does not brand anything as desirable, does not brand anything as undesirable. I brand something as desirable when I expect some kind of a benefit from that. I brand something as undesirable when I am threatened that I may lose something. He has no benefit to gain. He has nothing to lose. Nothing desirable. Nothing undesirable. Everything is God. No desirable. No undesirable. Yona harushyati natvesti nashochati Shoka means grief. Prapta ishtaviyoge. You know when shoka comes or grief comes? That I am now deprived of something that is desirable. I got something that I wanted, now it's taken away from me. So shoka, the grief comes, Swamiji, something happens. So some near and dear one, something happens to them. Suppose it's snatched away from me. Suppose something near, somebody near or dear one dies, then there is shoka. So ishta vyoga. Ishta means something that is desirable. When there is Vyoga, separation from something that is desirable, then reaction that arises called Shoka, grief. He has no grief. Swami, he must be like a stone. Nothing happens to him, no grief. Somebody passes away, no grief. Somebody comes, somebody is born, child is born, no harsha. Somebody dies, no Shoka. Would you like that kind of a thing? No, Swami, that is... If that is what wisdom means, I don't want that. Then what do you want? That I keep on grieving Swami. You know, I like that. <laughs> no, but when there is an acceptance of reality, when our perception is not just this narrow little constricted perception, but when I perceive the life from a total standpoint, then I realize that everything is fine. Birth also is fine. Death also is fine. See, nobody grieves for that person. I am, suppose somebody very near and dear one dies and I am aggrieved, there is a grief, not because of the person who died, not for the person who died. It is for me that I am grieved because I, I, and there is some vacuum in my life, there is some loss, I feel a sense of loss. So grief is for our own self. Grief is not for others. Because many people are dying, who cares for that? Every day people are dying, there is no grief. Only when I get connected with the death, then there is grief. And so when we see this Mashani Yatra and we find some familiar faces, hey, what happened? Oh, some familiar person. Oh, it's our friend. Then all of a sudden I feel grief. Otherwise, people, I, every day I see this Mashani Yatra in the funeral processions, I see. Okay, one more, you know. But the grief also is because a sense of personal loss. And that is because again, a, a sense of personal attachment or dependence that I had. 
so he is free from shoka, free from grief, which is what? Which arises when there is separation from something that is loved. And he does not long also. Aprapta sanyoge. There is a longing always for the association of loved ones. There is a grief when there is separation from loved ones. And there is longing in my heart to be associated with loved ones. free from reactions. All of the reactions, as we said, coming from our inner insecurities or inner inadequacies, that is why we hang on to things, that is why we, we get attached to things. Not that he does not love, not that he has no feeling for anybody. As we said earlier, Maitraha Karunaha Evacha, he is friendly to all, he is affectionate to all, he is compassionate to all, he loves all. But usually we think that there is love only when there is grief in the consequence. That is how we always think that love is which the grief must be there. No. The grief is because of attachment. So he loves everybody. He's not attached to anybody. Yonarushati, Nadveshti, Nashochati, Nakamshati, Shuha Shuvaparityagi. Who has completely given up good and bad actions? What is meant is that he has no sense of doership. He performs actions, but there is no abhimanam. There is no sense of doership, and therefore, from his standpoint, he does not perform action. This was also Lord Krishna describes in great detail how, while performing action, a wise man does not perform because he doesn't have the sense of doership. Bhakti priyaha. So one who is possessed of bhakti. He is dear to me. <coughs> Continuing with the 18th verse and 19th, we'll read the two together. Samashatraucha mitrecha Tathamana pamana yoho Sheetoshna Sukha Dukkheshu Samasanga Vivarjitaha Tulyanindastutir Mauni Santushtoyena Kenachita Aniketas Thiramatihi Bhaktiman me priyonaraha Samaha Shatrocha Mitrecha One of the same with reference to an enemy and a friend Again To him an enemy is the same and friend is the same Not same in Vyavara But he sees enemy also as the same self Coming in the form of enemy The same self coming in the form of a friend so between among enemy and friend, he sees the difference, of course. He sees the difference as far as their costumes are concerned, their personalities are concerned, but then he sees also the same self, the same God as the self of both, and therefore he does not look upon anybody as enemy. Put it this way. When he said that is equal to the enemy and friend, that means to him there is no enemy. He is friendly to all, but See, when I am friendly to a few, then I may be enemical to others. 
But when he is friendly to all, there is no enemy in his heart at all. Therefore, he does not look upon, he does not divide the people as enemy and friend. For him, everybody is a friend. <coughs> Therefore, he is equal to Shatru and Mitra, equal to. What we may look upon as enemy and friend, we find him equanimous to both of them. Tatha mana apamana yoho One who is equal-minded in honor and dishonor. But Swami, how can you look upon them as equal? How can honor and dishonor be looked upon as equal? They can be looked upon equal. If there is no honor, then there is no dishonor. When there is honor, there is dishonor also. Suppose there is no honor, there is no dishonor. But Swami, there is an honor when people respect you, when they praise you, or when they worship you, when they serve you, are you honored? If you feel that they are doing it to you, then you are honored. But you see, honor, when I am honored, also shows a certain ahankar. It shows an identification. And dishonor also shows an identification. Honor also is expressed to the body, to the personality. Dishonor also is expressed to the personality. And if I am identified with that, then I feel honored or dishonored. If I am not identified with that, there is no sense of honor or dishonor. So, as far as bhakta is concerned, he is neither honor nor dishonor. That means he doesn't, he doesn't identify himself with the honor or dishonor that is expressed by people at the level of his personality. And therefore, he is free, I mean he is equal both in the situation of honor as well as dishonor. Also in all these pairs of opposites, heat and cold, pleasure and pain, comfort and discomfort, in all of them, he maintains an equanimity. Samaha Sangha Vivarjitaha and free from Sangha or attachment, free from attachment to anything. <coughs> that means free from dependence upon anything. Free from expectation or demand from anything. Tulya Ninda Stutir Mauni is equal to censure and praise. Ninda Dosha Kathanam. I feel that I am censured when people talk about my dosha, they talk about my limitations, my blemishes. Stuti Guna Kathanam. I call it stuti or I call it praise when people sing my glories. So when they sing the glories, I am elated. When they talk about Swami, I think I should tell you something. So what is it? So sometimes people are very honest and simple and clear and they tell you what is your what are the problems that are there in you. I don't like to hear that, but they tell. <laughs> Ninda. Ninda means censure. It's fine, Ninda also is one. You are censuring what? Censuring my personality, fine. You are praising what? Praising my personality, fine. I never look upon them as mine. So it's fine. In fact, good, he, he will welcome. I don't think that we will welcome, but he will welcome some criticism also. Thank you for pointing out some problem that I have with which I should do something. Why do I get upset with... I, I get upset when somebody condemns me or censures me. But I wish that I should not. Because I ask myself, is there truth in what that person says? Swamiji, what he says is all wrong. I haven't done anything. There is no such thing. Then why do I get upset? 
the body says is wrong, there is no reason to get upset. And if body says is right, then also there is no reason to get upset. Then we should thank him that he has pointed out something that needs to be addressed, that's all. Of course, he doesn't feel the censure or praise, but if you feel censure or praise also, and whenever somebody praises, you should be very careful. Because if I, if I'm comfortable, if I like the feeling of being praised, if somebody can make me happy by praising me, definitely somebody can make me unhappy by censuring me. So when the praise comes, pass it on to where it belongs, you know. You, you, did I tell you that story of this very poor man? His, his name was Nathalal, you know. But people call him Nathio, that's how they do. That is, yeah, they always use this kind of, it doesn't matter, he's a very poor fellow and everybody would make fun of him. Nathia, yeah, that, that's, how are you? Like that, you know. But then somebody advises Nathalal to buy uh, a lottery ticket. And this fellow bought a lottery ticket. And by his great good luck, he won the first prize. And overnight he became a millionaire. Now he became Nathalal. See, people change. <laughs> No more will they call him Nathya, they call him Nathala. <laughs> so in Gujarati, Nana Vagarno Nathya. When he doesn't have Nana or money, he's called Nathya. Nana Nathala, when he gets money, he got, it's called Nathala. So now people call him. So now when people meet him, they greet him. Hello Nathala, how are you? How nice, how wonderful, they said, you know. Says, thank you, I'll tell him. So everybody, so when he is greeted by people, everybody, whenever he is greeted, he says, Jai Ram Jagi, thank you, I'll tell him. He will say in his mind, I'll tell him. Something funny. So whenever anybody greets him, he says, I'll tell him. <laughs> so somebody was once walking with him, what is this that you are referring I'm telling him, I'll tell him, what, who are you going to tell this? He says, well, come to my place tonight, I'll show you something. So this person, his friend is invited at Nathalal's place at night and then he takes him to a room, inside a room into a big safety security vault or something like that. He opens and a huge pile of money and jewelry and things like that, you know, a lot of wealth. He says, every night I come and report to this <laughs> that today you got 59 salutations. <laughs> Who got salutations? I don't, you know, he gets the salutation, therefore, I come and report to him. <laughs> so similarly also, if you get salutations, you get praise, we should know. It's best not to take the credit for the praises that come to us. Tell him, you know, <laughs> it all belongs to him. Then I need not, then I will not be perturbed when I am censured. But if I feel good when I am praised, I am going to feel bad when I am censured. If somebody criticizes me, condemns me, censures me, you can tell that also to him. That Lord, you have given me this gift. Today, fifty-nine salutations and thirty-nine condemnations. Report them. So, tulya ninda stutihi. One is tulya, even equal-minded in ninda and stutihi in praise and censure. <coughs> Mauni. Mauni means one who observes silence. One who does not speak is called Mauni. 
But mauni, meaning the one who is silent, can be interpreted either silent at the level of speech or silent at the level of mind. That's the better mauna. So in the 17th chapter, when Lord Krishna talks about the austerity of the mind, Lord Krishna in the 17th chapter talks about different kinds of austerities. Austerity at the level of body, austerity at the level of speech, austerity at the level of mind. Manah prasada saumyatvam maunam atma vinigraha. So maunam is presented that as an austerity of mind. Idea is that that silence rather should be at the level of mind. Silence means freedom from any kind of a conflict. Freedom from any kind of a reaction. Therefore he always enjoys the silence and the level of mind. In that sense we say that he's silent. And he's silent at the level of speech in as much as his discipline with reference to speech. So discipline of speech. That is natural to him. Sometimes we can practice. Lord Krishna described in the 17th chapter what is discipline of speech? What kind of discipline we should maintain while communicating with others at the level of speech? Says Satyam, Priyam, Hitam. Whenever you speak, make sure that what you speak is truthful. truthful. Priyam, when you speak truth, make sure that it is spoken in a manner which is pleasant. And the truth you speak and speak in a pleasant manner only if it is necessary. Hitam, if it is beneficial. Satyam, Priyam, Hitam. That which is truthful, that which is pleasant, that which is beneficial. Anudvega karam, and that does not cause udvega or does not disturb anybody or does not hurt anybody. Make sure that you, by your speech or by your words, people are not hurt. All of this is natural to him. There is no need for him to hurt anybody. So, mauni, mauni means, so, sanyatvak, one who is disciplined in speech, one is always sweet, very pleasant in his talk. <coughs> because usually our speech reveals our mind. So when we find ourselves bitter in speech, that shows bitterness in mind. Since he is very sweet in his mind, therefore, his speech also is sweet. Santushto yena kena chida One who is, uh, who is satisfied by whatever he gets. One who is content or satisfied with whatever it is. Yena kena chit whatever clothes he gets, he is happy. Yena kena chit whatever food he gets, he is happy. Yatra kvachana shayasyat, wherever he sleeps, he is happy. Tam devaha brahmanam viduhu, devutas, gods call him brahmana, gods call him a vice person, who is santushta, happy with whatever comes in his way. Whatever food comes in his way, fine. Whatever clothes he gets, fine. Whatever dwelling place he gets, fine. Aniketaha. <coughs> Niketa means nivasa, means a dwelling. Aniketaha, one who doesn't have a dwelling place. <laughs> he has no place to live. Aniketaha. What it means is, he does not call any place as his own. He is not identified with a dwelling place, that this is my dwelling place. Aniketaha. <coughs> 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 you see, this, 
this attachment to the place also arises in us. Swamiji, I, it's, everything is fine, but when I come home, then it's something different. So naturally, we feel different when we come home. People, you know, we get attached to any place. People who sleep under trees, you know, where else to go, then also you get attached. When you're s- sleeping on sidewalk, then also it's my corner, you know. His attachment is natural. But Aniketa means he's not attached to any place. He doesn't call any place his own. In fact, it was said in those days that Mahatmas were always wandering. They never live in a place more than a few hours. Like Shukadeva, you know. He was he's a great saint in Avadhuta. And he was always wandering. He would not remain in a place for more a time longer than what it takes for milking a cow. That's all. That was the duration of the time. That's what Mahatma says. Don't, if you live in a place too long, you get attached to that. We don't have to. We can watch out. You can live in a place. You can enjoy the place. But then, don't call it yours. You know? So that is, I mean, don't call it mine. That is the way. And so, uh, you can enjoy. It's, I feel that I can enjoy thing only if it is mine. Otherwise, I can't enjoy it. I can enjoy a house when it is my house. I can enjoy the car when it is my car. Even a flower also I can enjoy when it is my flower. Better than some other flower. My tree I can enjoy better. It's when it is my, when the stem of I comes in there, then it becomes enjoyable. Only because that, that thing makes me feel enjoyable with myself, really speaking. But anyway, it is not necessary that I can enjoy something that is mine. I can enjoy something for what it is. Like you are visiting a friend, you are a guest someplace and you are given a nice room, you enjoy that. So what kind of relationship? I don't call it my room. I don't call it, you know, there is no sense of possession or ownership. And so he doesn't have a sense of ownership, doesn't have a sense of possession. That's what is meant. Aniketaham. Bhaktiman me priyasthiramatihi. So one whose knowledge is firm, bhaktiman me priyunaraha. One, Bhaktiman, that Matupratya is there, that shows the possession in, in, a, in a, an excellent, excellent manner. So, Dhanavan, Dhanavan means not one possessed of wealth, one who is possessed of wealth in, a, in a, an exceedingly well, you know. Whether just one rupee I have, I can't be called Dhanavan. Dhanavan means possessed of Dhanavan money, but one who possesses plenty of it. So, Bhaktiman, also Matupratya. One who possesses bhakti or devotion in plentiful measure. So, ye me priya he is dear to me. And concluding, in the twentieth verse we are told, Ye tu dharmya mrutam idam Ye tu dharmya yupasate Shraddha dhana mat paramaha Bhaktaste me priyaha. So in these seven verses, Lord Krishna described his devotee, a mature devotee. One who is fully established or fully abiding in the knowledge of the self, in knowledge of the unity of everything. And he is dear to me. However, in this last verse, Lord Krishna describes his devotees who are not mature, who are the beginners, who are the seekers. <coughs> Yetu, those however, 
इदम यथोक्तम धर्म्यामृतम परिपासते हावेवर दोज डिवोटीज ऑफ माइंड हु आर स्टिल लिटिल चिल्ड्रन ट्राइंग टू वॉक नॉट येट एबल टू इवन वॉक देर आर ग्रोन अप मच्योर डिवोटीज आर ऑल बिकम इंडिपेंडेंट बट दोज हु आर ट्राइंग टू वॉक ट्राइंग टू लर्न वॉकिंग हाउ आर डेम हाउ आर दिस इनिशियट्स हाउ आर द सीकर्स हु आर ट्राइंग टू बिकम दिस दोज इदम धर्म्यामृतम लॉर्ड कृष्णा दिस वैल्यूज और दिस थर्टी थ्री ट्रेड्स ऑफ द डिवोटीज आर डिस्क्राइब इन दिस सेवन वर्सेज लॉर्ड कृष्णा कॉज इट धर्म्यामृतम धर्म्य अमृतम अमृतम इज एम्ब्रोसिया एंड धर्म्यम दैट विच इज इन कीपिंग विथ धर्म इज कॉल धर्म्य दैट विच इज इन कीपिंग विथ धर्म एंड अमृतम दैट विच इज एम्ब्रोसिया ऑल्सो so these traits that lord krishna described here adveshta sarbhutana maitraha karunaha all these traits that lord krishna described are dharma all of them are in keeping with dharma what is dharma that which is the very that which sustains or upholds everything that which is the true nature of everything and so the ultimate meaning of dharma is what asti bhati priyam or sat chit ananda or existence intelligence Fullness. That's the real dharma, isn't it? Not is it not so? What's the dharma? What's the true nature of anything? Giving up the name and form is name and form ultimately depend upon what? Asti, bhati, priyam. And what's the dharma of I also? Asti, bhati, priyam. So name and form are different, but basically everything is sat, chit, ananda. That's the fundamental nature of everything. and that is what is the substratum of everything upon which the names and forms are superimposed and therefore that satchit ananda is real dharma so bhagavad gita is a dharma shastra is shastra of the scripture that enforces this dharma which is the fundamental nature of everybody and everything and a way of life that is in keeping with that nature is also called dharma so there the dharma can be called a way of life or a set of values are called dharma which values are in keeping with this fundamental nature that is when i live a life which is in keeping with my fundamental nature then there is going to be harmony in my life on the other hand if i live a life which violates the fundamental nature then i'm violating myself there is going to be a disharmony in life so dharma what is the real dharma what kind of life should i live what values should i have then i am living a life in keeping with my nature that is what is described here what is spontaneous for this wise person becomes a value to be deliberately cultivated by a seeker so there are three kinds of people as you know one are those who are impulsive they just act on impulses there are others who are spontaneous that in they spontaneously good in between are these people who are what we call the seekers they are they should be deliberate they should try deliberately try to be good so what is meant by being good whenever i am able to follow any of these values i am a good person because then my behavior reaction is in keeping with dharma in keeping with my nature and that dharma itself is amritam ambrosia that is immortality or that is a real nectar or that is the that is a total happiness in short this is a way of life that is conducive to ambrosia 
conducive to the total happiness in life. So dharmyamrutam, this dharmyamrutam, this ambrosia that is in, in the form of these values, that is in keeping with the dharma or the true nature of the self, yathoktam, which I just described in those la- in last seven verses, ye paryupasate, those people who follow in their life. Who can follow this? Shraddha dhanaha. Those people who are endowed with Shraddha or the faith. So following these values requires a lot of Shraddha. Because there is a lot of fear in our heart. Swami, suppose I, I become a good person, what will happen to me? Suppose I become a transparent person, what will happen to me? I don't expect anything. What will happen? To, what will they do to me? They will trample upon me. They will use me as the, what do they call it? They will use me as, uh, as a doormat. <laughs> they will walk all over me. They will treat me as a vegetable. They will rob me and they will, you know, attack me. So a lot of fear is there. And suppose I do this, so what? What will happen? What do I get? What do people get by being honest? You know? What did I get in my life? Nothing. And look at him. He got away with everything, even though he's not honest. And so I don't even know about the efficacy of this. There are two problems here. One is, I'm afraid that if I follow, if I become a good person, then I'll be taken. So many people take me for granted. So what do you want? No, they should not take me for granted. That means that I always want a certain respect. I mean, you know, and take me for granted means they don't take me into account. I always want to be taken into account. Then I feel good about myself. So I'm afraid that if I follow these values, if I try to become a bhakta like this, then I will be taken for granted. I'll be, I will not be treated with my due respect and whatever. That is one concern I have. Other concern is that following these values require me to give up a lot of things that are dear to me. Today pride is very dear to me, I must give up that. Today attachment is very dear to me, I must give up that. Hatred is very dear to me, I must give up that. These things that are very, anger is very dear to me, because I feel I am protected by anger. Jealousy is dear to me, because I feel that I am protected by that. So I have adopted all of these as my defense mechanism. Anger, greed, jealousy, hatred, all of these, as I said, we have adopted, we have accepted them as defense mechanism and dropping all of them, then I seem to be, you know, laying myself bare to all kinds of aggression. That's one fear. Another fear is that, suppose I give, do this, then what? Shall I get this result? Will I really become like this? That's another thing also. Whether or not what they say is right, whether or not will be beneficial to me. <coughs> Shraddha dhana. So these values can be followed only when there is this faith or the trust, as I said, in the scheme of things, in the basic goodness of the things, in the declaration of scriptures. That's called Shraddha. Shastrasya, Guruvakyasya, Satya Buddhyavadharana. That what the scriptures reveal, what the teachers tell us, is true. And it is meant for our own well-being. If that Shraddha, that whatever Upadesha or the instruction Lord Krishna has given, that all meant for me. That he has no axe to grind. He is not that he is trying to have, he has an agenda of his own which is trying to be fulfilled through me. That also people feel. Swamiji, the teaching of Bhagavad Gita is to make Arjuna fight. So Lord Krishna has an agenda. 
if Arjuna, Arjuna said, I don't want to fight. And suppose he doesn't fight, then what will happen? Lord Krishna's agenda will not be met. He wants that these fellows should be destroyed. And Arjuna is a tool to, to accomplish that. And Arjuna does not cooperate with Lord, or does, then it does not, Lord's scheme is not fulfilled. Therefore, Tasmadhyadhyas Svabharva, all the time is asking Arjuna to fight. If this is what we feel, then we kind of trust in this. If this teaching is imparted to fulfill his own agenda, then we can't be bothered with it. Only when we have trusted, he has no agenda at all. If Lord Krishna tells Arjuna to fight the battle, it is for the well-being of Arjuna, and that Lord Krishna has nothing to accomplish, which is what he clears up also. Rute vitvam bhavishyandi sarve ye vasthita pratyanike shuyudaha Hey Arjuna, even if, whether you are there or not, none of these fellows in both the army is going to be, going to survive whether you are there or not. What do you mean I am there or not? Who will kill them? Mayavaite nihitah purvameva Hey Arjuna, they are already killed by me, already. Then what do you want me to do? You just kill the people who are already killed. Why should I do that? Yashola Bhaswa you get the you, you get the glory, that's all. I've chosen you to get the glory. The hey, Arjuna conquered these people who were inconquerable. So Arjuna will get the praise and the glory. History will talk about you. I've selected you specifically for that. Go ahead and enjoy that. But whatever is to be done, I've already done. In case Arjuna had some kind of a doubt, you know, that he will accomplish something. Lord Krishna clarified that also. He has no agenda, he has no scheme. And whatever is being told, is being told not only for the well-being of Arjuna, for the well-being of whole mankind. Arjuna also became a nimitta. If that trust we have, that this is for my well-being, that no doubt it requires me to drop something, but at the moment I'm holding on to a lot of things that are a burden to me. All that I'm required to drop is that which is really a burden to me. Then, dropping means freedom. So this is a path to freedom. This is a path to real or lasting happiness. Of course, that we can discover as we go along. It is not that I have to keep on believing this for infinite time, as even to the extent I put this into practice, I can discover the effect right away. Svabhambhapesya dharmasya trayate mahato bhayad. Lord Krishna said that even a little bit of this dharma, if you follow in your life, it will save you, it will protect you from great danger. All we have to do is to try it and see the result for our own selves. Shraddhasana. Shraddha is required when it has not yet become a matter of our experience. Then we require Shraddha. Shraddhasana. And when can we even then follow this? Matparama. For those for whom Lord Krishna says, I am the ultimate goal, those who are seeking me. So only when we are seeking him that these values become valuable to us, not otherwise. None of this becomes valuable if I am seeking money. Then this is not valuable, this comes in the way. Each one of these will become an obstacle to acquiring money, I am telling you. Or you want power, money, prestige, recognition, these things may not even help you, they may hurt you. Mat paramaha, only those who are looking upon me as a goal of their life. Those who have the maturity, those who have discerned the problem of life as to what I am seeking. So those who are sensitive to their own self and they have understood what is the basic urge in their heart. They what my heart is seeking is not these things, 
but through them I am seeking something else. The one who has understood that, for him, Mat Paramaha. Then Mat Paramaha, that Lord himself becomes the very goal. Then this, with Shraddha, those who follow these values. Bhaktaha, they are also my devotees. Not that this perfected one is my devotee, but those who are even seekers are trying to be perfect. They are also my devotees. How do I look upon them? Ativa Priyaha. These bhaktas, the perfected ones are Priyaha. They are dear. These people are Ativa. They are extremely dear to me. See, Lord Krishna says, these devotees, the seekers, are extremely dear to me. Because I know they are doing this without having experience. With all the faith in me, they are doing this. So he's always there. Don't think that we are alone in this journey. Or that we are alone in this struggle. Never. He's always there. He wants us to go there. He's waiting. And they say that even if I, I advance by one step, he's there to take, you know, he will, he will come towards us with ten steps. He's always there to receive us. We need some initiative. That's true. He needs some initiative on our part. And then the help is always there. We should never feel that we are alone. Even if there is nobody else in the world, he is always there. The Ativa Priyaha, devotees, these are devotees are very dear to me, extremely dear to me. In this manner, Lord Krishna is teaching in the twelfth chapter of the Gita called the Bhakti Yoga, because Bhakti, the devotion, is the main topic in this twelfth chapter. Om Tatsata It is Srimad Bhagavad Gita Su Upanishad Su Brahma Vidyaya Yoga Shastre Shri Krishna Arjuna Samvade Bhakti Yoga Nama Vadashodhyaya Sarva Dharman Parityaja Mamekam Sharanam Raja Ahantva Sarva Papebhya Moksha Yishyami Mashuchaha Harihi Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamivavashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashakrita Uvande Bhagavanta Upanapunaha Ishvara Guru Rathmevi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vajyata Dehaya Dakshinamurkaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Dhyana Hari Om